you um, might know this about me, some of you might not know this about me, but, and this is kind of strange to be in this community necessarily, but me and art don't get along very well. Um, I'm not an artist by any means. You ask me to draw something, you'll be lucky if you get a stick figure that you can kind of figure out as a person. I can't draw, I can't do, I mean, art class was always my absolute worst absolute just terrible like you never I didn't like it I wasn't good at it people didn't know what I was making it was it was always one of those things and so for me art has always been something I just don't quite get I know some of you are artists that's great I'm glad God has sent artists to this world so that there's something good to look at because if everybody was like me it would be pretty hideous so I'm okay with that's great I love that some of you are artists some of you uh I love just being around art, looking at art. I've never really been the type to really, I don't know what it is for me. My mind is just not really, I don't, especially abstract art. So a few years ago, if any of you remember Aaron Benson, he was here and I became pretty good friends with Aaron and he was a sculptor and he did some things with art and he would tell me all about it, right? And he would tell me and he would even show me sometimes pictures of what he's working on and and I tried to, to kind of understand and, and really try to relate to it. It was hard for me. Uh, at, the, at the end of uh, his, his last year of grad school, he had a show. He had, he had an art exhibition. And, and I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna, he's my friend. I'm going to go. I'm going to support uh, what he's doing. And I, I show up to, to the exposition and, and I'm looking, uh, exhibition and I'm looking at it. And, and uh, I'm looking at these pieces of art. And honestly, I, 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 loved, I loved Aaron, but I had no idea what any of this was about. But he had little pieces of paper next to him that kind of explained a few of them, and that helped me a lot. And then I was able to talk to him about it. And once he explained his vision, I was able to say, oh, all right, all that you've been talking about and all that you've even shown me little snippets of, I can now see it in its completed form. And I didn't get it at first, but now that you've kind of explained it, now that I'm looking at it, I can see exactly where you were going with this. And I actually enjoyed some of the pieces because I could kind of understand where the mind was going when you looked at that piece even though to the untrained eye which was mine you would have no idea what this statue looking thing really was but after you thought about it you could see it and it was it was exhibited out in public for all to see and it was no longer a question of what it was going to look like or what it was going to mean but it was there in front of you uh, one of his pieces actually came home with me um, and uh, it sat in my basement for a while, and it was nice, and it was good. My kids looked at it, and they decided it was a chair. So they would sit on it, and unfortunately it got broken. But all that to be said, I learned a lot about art through that process. And I learned that it's, it really doesn't mean a whole lot unless people can see it and understand it. Like if, it's, if you just do art and you leave it in your basement... It's just going to get sat on and get ruined. Like it's got to be, it's got to be out there. It's got to be exhibited, and that's exactly what uh, today's sermon is going to be about. As we look at Jesus, we're going to see that He exhibits Himself. So we're going to look at the exhibition of the servant king, and we're going to look at that and see how He shows Himself publicly. You know, He's been teaching for a long time. As we go through this review, He's been showing in in little snapshots, if you will, who He is and what He's doing. And now we find ourselves in Mark chapter 10 going into chapter 11, which will be the triumphal entry that we'll be talking about this morning. And Jesus is putting it on display. He's putting it out for all to see. This is my identity. This is my mission. And here it begins. And so that's where we find ourselves. 
as we find ourselves in the book of Mark. Once again, we'll be at the end of Mark chapter 10. End of Mark chapter 10, going through Mark chapter 11 this morning. And as you remember last week, if you were with us, we talked at great length about what discipleship looked like for three weeks. As we ended that process in Mark chapter 10, we see what might be, and I would say is, the theme verse of all of Mark. And where we saw this is we see this in chapter 10, verse 45. And let's read that verse again to remind us of where we left off. But this is what Jesus says to his disciples after predicting his death and predicting his suffering. He says this, For even the Son of Man, referring to himself, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As I said last week, what's going to happen from here on out as we go through the book of Mark Uh, Jesus has been showing us bits and pieces here of who he is and by what he's doing and what he's teaching. We have seen it. The disciples are starting to see it. He is telling them now what his mission is going to be. And now he says, I'm here to serve. I'm here to give my life. And then starting from here on out, we're going to see through the rest of the book of Mark that Jesus is marching towards the cross. Every piece that is coming together is leading him now towards the time when he would suffer and die for our sins. And that's where we find ourselves. In the book of Mark then so far, if you remember, we'll go through quickly, we've seen that Jesus is indeed the suffering servant king who is truly God and truly man. We've seen that time and time again and now Jesus is going to even further show that to the world. We've seen that Jesus' authority has been seen but has brought opposition and it's brought pressure. Jesus has been teaching and has been demonstrated his kingship. Throughout the whole book so far, he's doing it. He's doing it through his miracles. He's doing it through what he's saying. But now as we come towards the triumphal entry, we see that Jesus is about to declare it once again in an even more broad and open and public display. Jesus was followed by some during this time, but also rejected by others. He was followed by some, rejected by others. Many of these who rejected him wanted to stick with their own tradition and their own religion. We see in the process of Jesus so far in the book of Mark, he has included everyone in his ministry. And this is going to become vitally important. That Jesus reached out to the downcast. Jesus reached out to the outcast. Jesus reached out to the Gentile and not just to the Jew. That Jesus went through all social boundaries and he walked through them to say, I love all people and I'm here to save all people. And Jesus has been doing that. And today when we look As we go through the triumphal entry and then we enter into where he comes into the temple and we see something tremendously that Jesus wants to do with his ministry that the Jews have forgotten. So far also we've seen that Jesus has revealed his identity and his mission as the Messiah. Specifically to his disciples, he's been very clear. His closest disciples understand that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. And he's been making that clear person by person, group by group, and now it's going to be even more public. And then the last three weeks, we've looked at the fact that Jesus, in light of the fact that he is that suffering servant king that has come to the world to save us, in light of the fact that he is that Messiah, he has called us all, his disciples and us, to follow him through self-sacrifice. To follow his example of sacrificing himself for others and that we would do the same thing by becoming a servant to all those around us. And to, self, and to sacrifice the things of self, to sacrifice the selfish desires of our heart, to say, I'm not going to live my life the way I want to anymore, but I'm going to live my life the way that Jesus wants me to. 
And he says, that's true discipleship. And admittedly, the last few weeks has been pretty heavy. It's been kind of, even at points, just convicting, I know, for myself and maybe for you. And yet, in the process of all this, Jesus, as we remember last week, Jesus promises great blessing in self-sacrifice. He says, yes, it's a self-sacrifice, but what you're gaining is so much more. You're gaining me. You're gaining eternal life through me. You're gaining so much more than you're losing. And that's where we find ourselves. And with that background, we now will be looking at the fulfillment of Jesus, what he's been saying throughout the rest of this book. He's marching towards Jerusalem. He's about to face the suffering and death that we've already talked about. We've also seen, though, throughout the book of Mark, if you remember, there's some been weird times where in the book of Mark, Jesus will do an incredible miracle and he'll look at the person that he's just done this miracle for and he'll say, don't tell anybody. Uh, it, it, very interesting that Jesus has been doing this through Mark and we've looked at that and said that doesn't seem to make sense. Why would you not want people to know the great things that you're doing that are showing that you're from God? But Jesus understood all along that there was a specific timetable that needed to happen so that he would be at the right time and at the right place to give his life when, it, when, G, when God had determined it to happen and Jesus knows it hasn't been time up to this point. But now... All bets are off because Jesus is about to make things super, super public. And so we see a change is being made. He is about to exhibit himself to the world, if you will. In an exhibition, as we've been talking about, it's a showing or a public display. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's going to show himself to be the Messiah that some already know he is. And what we'll see is three events this morning. In the next section of Mark that will show us Jesus exhibiting himself to all those around him. And this would continue then to spiral towards the cross. As he comes into, uh, into Jerusalem, he declares himself the Messiah. It'll, it'll set off a, a spiral of events that will eventually lead us to his crucifixion and his death. We have a while to get there, but we're going to see the beginning now of the end, if you will, as we look at Jesus' life here in Mark. The first event we're going to see is found... In chapter 10, let us go there and read from verses 46 through the end of chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. And they came to Jericho as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, with a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So the first thing we see is that Jesus exhibits himself through the healing of the blind. Through the healing of the blind. Now, you should be aware, especially if you've been with us, that this is not the first time. Actually, what we're going to see in this first event, this is actually in Mark, the last time we see Jesus do like a physical healing like this. Uh, the rest of the time, we're going to see him marching towards the cross, if I, as I've said. This is his last physical miracle of healing, and he chooses it to be a blind man. We've already seen him heal the blind before, so why is this so important? 
Well, if you remember when we talked about the last time he healed the blind, uh, that was in chapter 8, and we saw that in chapter 8, verses 22 through 38. If you remember back then, um, a man is blind, he calls him out, He's, he, he does sign language to him, he touches his eyes, and, and, and he, if you remember, he, he starts and he sees people that look like trees. And then Jesus went all the way and restored his sight completely. And we looked at the fact that that is not, Jesus did that on purpose. It's the only miracle he did in stages. He first of all partially healed his seeing, and then he completely restored his sight. And the idea was to point towards the fact that even though Jesus' disciples and those who were following him at that point were blind and so many people didn't understand who he was, that they were starting to see what Jesus, who he was and what he would do, and eventually they would see clearly. And now we come to another blind man, and let's just keep this in mind, that when Jesus healed this last blind man in Mark, this was right before he reveals the true nature of his mission to his disciples. He heals the blind man, and then he says to his disciples, after Peter acknowledges that he understands that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus says, yes, I'm the Messiah, and here's what you need to know about that. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. He says that right after the first healing, and now he says that two more times, Throughout Mark here, so a total of three times he has declared that he's going to suffer and die, and now he closes almost with a bookend with another blind man. Starts a passage with one blind man saying, Look, spiritual blindness can be healed, so can, or physical blindness can be healed, and so can spiritual blindness. And now at the end of talking about what was coming and then telling people what they should do in response to what Jesus is about to do, now another blind man is healed. And again, it's to remind us that Jesus is not only healing physical blindness, but he's also healing spiritual blindness. And so he's going to reveal himself. He's going to show himself to the world. People are about to see who he truly is. Maybe many have been blinded, but now they're about to see clearly. And so with that being in the background, as we remember that about the blind before, now Jesus heals another blind man. As Jesus travels to Jerusalem, he encounters Bartimaeus. Now Bartimaeus, we're told, was sitting on the side of the road. He's a beggar. And and Jesus, by the way, he's not just traveling to Jerusalem by himself. It's not like he's wandering on a deserted road by himself or with a few people. Jesus, as we're told here in chapter 10, is heading to Jerusalem with a huge crowd of people. If you remember from the book of John, we'll know that right before this, Jesus did his greatest miracle yet, and that is that he raised Lazarus from the dead. He did that. That was a public display right there of who he was and what he was doing, that he had power over death itself. And so there has been now a spreading of the word, and now there's a huge crowd that is accompanying Jesus as he's going to Jerusalem. If you have the picture in your mind, it's just a mob of people that are marching together. It's a huge group of people. And so in the midst of this, you have Bartimaeus who is sitting on the side of the road. He's a beggar and he sees, or he doesn't see Jesus coming. He knows, he hears that Jesus is coming. And that's where we find ourselves where Bartimaeus is. In the midst of this huge crowd, he's sitting there begging And yet, even in all the excitement, he knows that Jesus is there. And so then we see Bartimaeus calls to Jesus for healing. Bartimaeus, he hears through the grapevine as the people are are buzzing, obviously. It's Jesus. He's coming through. It's Jesus. 
And Bartimaeus hears this and he knows obviously who Jesus is and he's heard what Jesus can do and he starts calling out to Jesus. He hears that it's Jesus. He starts desperately calling for him. If you'll notice, uh, he says here, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's begging for mercy. And what do some well-meaning people do while well, they're next to him and they say, Bart, you know, be quiet. This is the master. He's traveling. He's, he's with a group. He's not going to hear you. Don't do it. They're rebuking him. They're saying, be quiet. Stop yelling. And what does Bartimaeus do? Well, instead of stopping like they're telling him to, he yells even louder and continues to, to implore Jesus saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. He's crying out. He is desperate for Jesus. There is no question we see even in what he's yelling, when he's yelling, what he's shouting, there is so much great faith in his heart. He repeats the same thing over and over again when he's told to stop. And the first part of it is son of David. This is the only time in the book of Mark that we see Jesus called the son of David. He's called the son of David other places. Jesus will call himself the son of David later on in the book. But this is the only time we see someone calling him that. And it's a truthful statement. The son of David is a messianic term. There's no question about what Bartimaeus thinks about Jesus. Bartimaeus believes with all his heart that Jesus is indeed the Messiah that has, been, that has been foretold, that is coming to save. Bartimaeus knows who Jesus is. There's no question. And so he continues to say, Son of David, Messiah. And then he says, Have mercy on me. As we said, this is an idea of being desperate for Jesus to show mercy. He trusted Jesus completely and knew he had to rely on him to receive the mercy he needed. There was nothing he could do to deserve this. He needed the mercy of Jesus. And so he's calling. And here's the interesting thing. And this could have even been included with our last group of sermons. Because I think another thing we see happening here is Bartimaeus is doing exactly what Jesus has been telling his disciples they need to do in order to be true disciples. He has given up everything. He doesn't care what people are saying. He is desperate for Jesus. He is trusting Jesus alone he knows who jesus is and he is calling out to him in desperation and isn't that what jesus has been saying all along as he said sacrifice yourself live for me he's saying be so desperate for me that you're no longer desperate for yourself or your things or to justify yourself or whatever it might be be so desperate for me that it's me that you follow and bartimaeus is here and as a true look as a true disciple should be he is trusting and relying on jesus completely and then we see Jesus do something incredible. Jesus takes the time to stop and restore his sight. And you might say, well, this is kind of a small miracle. I mean, he's done it before. He just raised somebody from the dead, like, you know, blindness. Of course, he's, you know, that's not a huge deal. But if you think about what Jesus does here, once again, an outcast, someone who was a beggar, no one would have had anything to do with, someone who was blind. But even in the midst of this, if you think about it, Jesus is in a huge crowd. One man calling out to him amidst the crowd. Jesus stops everything for him. Because Jesus understands his need and understands his desperation. And Jesus wants to make a point again. And so he stops. And he tells people to call to Bartimaeus to come. So Jesus takes the time to stop and restore his sight. Jesus stops and calls for Bart to come. And Bart, I, I say Bart in the short, Bartimaeus comes, casts off everything. He casts off his cloak. He says, I'm done with everything. My old life is gone because I'm going to Jesus. What a beautiful picture. Just casting everything off to run to Jesus. He comes to Jesus. 
we see the faith that he has. He, he believes in what Jesus will do. Notice that Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Obviously, Jesus knows what Bartimaeus needs. But he wants to again show Bartimaeus his faith. He's exhibiting his faith. And Bartimaeus says to him, he says, let me receive my sight. As we see this, it's a beautiful picture once again. He says, let me recover my sight. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Notice that Bartimaeus doesn't say, if you can give me my sight back, please do it. We've talked about this before. Bartimaeus understands that this is completely at the will of Jesus. And he says, let, just let my sight be restored. Would you do that? And he has faith that Jesus can. He's asking him that he will. And not only that, he also refers to him as rabbi here. We don't get that because a lot of times we don't understand what it meant to call somebody a rabbi. But to call somebody a rabbi, it's more than just teacher. It really, my master, my teacher, it's a personal relationship that matters deeply to the person. And so Bartimaeus, remember he called him son of David before. He called him the Messiah. He understood theologically who Jesus is. But now he actually relates to Jesus in a relationship. And he says, Rabbi, my teacher, my master. And in this, because of his great faith and because Jesus wants to display this, his sight is restored. But notice what Bartimaeus does after his sight is restored. It says, Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Bartimaeus very likely could have just restored, restored his sight and said, oh, Jesus had mercy on me. I'm out of here because I'm going to go enjoy my life. Bartimaeus knew that he needed to follow Jesus and that's what he did. And so we see this seemingly small miracle we see that Jesus now is going to enter Jerusalem as he not only heals the physical blindness of Bartimaeus, but now he's about to heal the blindness of people, heal the spiritual blindness of the people towards him. As he enters Jerusalem, there will be no question of who he is. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 11. So let us go to chapter 11 and read the first 11 verses. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it you will find a colt tied in which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door on, outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they, told, and they told them what Jesus had said, and they let, him, let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything... As it was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. We see Jesus' triumphal entry here. Jesus exhibits himself through his triumphal entry. This is the story most often associated with Palm Sunday. This is when we celebrate this moment, the week before Jesus' resurrection. And we see uh, that here in Mark, we come across the triumphal entry. And it's great to take it in context. 
this is all, all of the rest of Mark has been building up to this moment in chapter 11. Jesus has been showing it and, do, and doing things and teaching it all throughout the first 10 chapters. <clears throat> people, some people get it, some people don't. Now chapter 11, there's no question who he is. He comes in to Jerusalem to exhibit himself as king. And so what we see here in these 11 verses is we first of all see Jesus riding into Jerusalem on an unridden colt of a donkey. An unridden donkey colt. And this is important. If you know, if you've been around a Palm Sunday message before, you'll understand that Zechariah 9.9 talks about that the Messiah would ride in on a donkey into Jerusalem. And we see that Jesus does this. Now it's interesting here, though Mark doesn't point that out. Other other books do. Like Matthew points it out and says he was fulfilling prophecy and this is what it said. Mark doesn't really focus on that too much because remember Mark is writing not only to Jewish people but honestly a lot of Romans and Gentiles are reading the book of Mark. And so he knows that they don't really necessarily <coughs> excuse me. He knows people don't necessarily understand uh, that the prophecy because they're Gentiles, they're Romans. But what does this signify to somebody who's a Gentile? Well, typically, a ruler would ride in, and they did this, by the way. The Romans would ride into a city after a conquest, and, and they would ride in with, not only with all their captives, but they would ride in on a powerful steed, a horse. They'd ride in with pomp and circumstance. It'd be a big deal. They would show their wealth. That's what the world would consider a triumphal entry. A strong horse would be a better choice for them, but... Jesus is riding in on not only a donkey, but one that's never been ridden before, a young donkey, a colt. This has to be kind of a comical scene, a little bit, if you think about it. And Jesus is riding in on this, and it's not what the world would say is triumphal or royal, and yet it is for Jesus. But it points to the humility and servanthood of the king. And that's exactly what he wanted to show. In the midst of this, Jesus also shows his sovereignty and his omniscience. You know, as he tells the disciples, go get the colt and, and tells them what to say if they, where they find the colt and they untie it. And everything happens the way Jesus says it's going to. And it happens and it comes and Jesus is showing himself, even with his disciples, continuing to show that he indeed is God. And he shows that here. So as he's riding in, we see that Jesus receives a royal procession. I just said it wasn't typical, the typical royal procession and it's not. But actually, in the time of David, a, uh, a donkey was actually seen as a royal uh, animal. Uh, it changed throughout time, but in the times of David, that would have been a royal animal. So that's an interesting point as we look at this. We also see that uh, leaves or palm branches, as John would tell us, uh, were being laid before Jesus as he rides in. This was normal for a victory procession. It was a sign of victory. And so people are saying, or they're, they're about to praise him. They're about to say, save us. They're about to say, Hosanna, you've come to set up your kingdom. And so they're laying things before him, and that is a symbol. That's not just like, okay, the road is a little bumpy or a little dirty, so let's lay some leaves down for him. That's not the point. The point here is that they wanted to show victory, that Jesus was coming in victorious fashion. And so they lay this before him. And the clothes that they laid before him, by the way, you'll see in other scripture and here, they threw their clothes in front of him too. And, and what is that a symbol of? Well, that is a simple symbol of submission. To say, even our own clothes are worth putting down to be trampled upon for the, for the use of the king. 
And so the people understand that what is happening here is a royal procession, and Jesus goes through with it. He's riding on the branches. He's riding uh, on, the, on the donkey through the branches, through the clothes. <clears throat> now remember, even in all of this, we've been talking about this, many of these people aren't all getting it still. Many of these people <clears throat> see Jesus as a political uh, savior, they still see him as coming to be a military king that would deliver Israel from Rome. There's no doubt that many people were thinking this. Jesus, as we know, would not be here to overthrow Rome, but to overthrow sin and death. Even a greater enemy, he's there to defeat. But not everybody gets that. We've got to keep that in mind. But they will soon see and understand what is really going to happen. It's only a week away now, and they're going to watch and see what happens to Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem that he indeed would serve by suffering and dying for the sin of man. But even in this idea, as they're giving him a royal procession, they are praising him. Jesus is praised by the crowds. It doesn't just stop with the symbolism, but they're actually saying it with their words. And they're calling out and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Many of you know that Hosanna, as you translate it, is save us now. Save us now, O King. Save us now, O Messiah. They're calling out to Jesus, save us. And not only that, but they are quoting Psalm 118, 25, and 26. If you ever want to look at that, it's, a, it's from a messianic psalm. about These are things that are said about God Himself. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so there is praise happening from a messianic psalm. And it's in, in that psalm, it's attributed to God himself. And now people are attributing that to Jesus. Theologically, they're starting to understand, even though practically they might not quite understand where it's going to take him. And I want you to notice one important thing. Because he's done this before, but he doesn't here. Jesus does not quiet them. In the past, there's been times where people have started to talk about him and starting to declare what he's done, and Jesus actually says, stop. But notice Jesus doesn't do that here because the time has come. It is time for him to be revealed. It is time for people to see who he is. It is time for him to march to the cross. He knows it's his time. He allows them to praise him as the Messiah, even knowing that that's going to make the authorities upset and they're going to seek to kill him. And that is going to happen and Jesus does not quiet them but lets it happen. And by doing that, he is indeed acknowledging that he is the one who has come to save. And so Jesus is exhibiting himself in no greater fashion here than when we find in the triumphal entry. One more thing this morning we're going to look at that Jesus exhibit, where Jesus exhibits himself. Well, you see, Jesus comes into Jerusalem as the Messiah King. We just talked about that. What does he do right after he gets into Jerusalem? What we're just told in chapter 11 is he goes into the temple, but the hour is late, so he goes back to Bethany with the twelve. That's kind of an important thing as we go forward in what we're going to look at next. You see, Jesus goes into the temple, looks around, goes to Bethany for an overnight stay to come back the next day. Jesus will come back the next day, and in the next couple verses in 12 through 14, we're going to talk about these next week because it connects with things that are happening later. But it says in verses 12 through 14, on the following day, after they stay overnight at Bethany, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. 
Just keep that in your mind for next week. We're going to look at what that is talking about. Jesus is showing his intense authority even over creation, and he's showing that, and so we'll see that next week. But then something else happens. So on the way to Jerusalem, this is what happens, but then we find ourselves that he returns to the temple where we'll see the next exhibition of his identity. And we'll see that Jesus exhibits himself through cleansing the temple. Jesus exhibits himself through cleansing the temple. And starting in verse 15 of chapter 11. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and, the, <clears throat> who sold and those who brought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it, it, is not, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So we see this last little story of Jesus. And remember, he had just been in the temple the night before. And now we see that Jesus is going to cleanse the temple. I want to say a quick thing before we get into all the details here. Notice that Jesus came into the temple and looked around. Here's what I'm, and I know I'm, I'm adding a few things of my own thoughts in here, but it seems to make sense. He goes into the temple, he sees what's happening in the temple, but it's late. And I, I have to believe that he goes back to Bethany with the twelve, and some people would even say he spent the night praying. I don't know what he was doing when he was in Bethany necessarily, but one thing's for sure, he's seen what's going on in the temple, and he takes some time to consider what he's going to do. Because when he comes into the temple, no doubt they were still they were selling and changing in money and misusing the temple like we'll look at in a minute. But he didn't take that opportunity right then to, to show himself. He decided to go away and come back the next day. He's thought this through. This is not just a, um, this is not just a, a rush decision, like a, a temper tantrum, all right, that we're going to see what happens with Jesus here. Because Jesus comes and he stops the misuse of the temple grounds. He comes in and he stops the misuse of the temple grounds. The Gentile courtyard is where this is happening, by the way. You might miss that. But as you go into the temple, that's where you enter, into, the, into the, the, the grounds in which Gentiles would be allowed to be there to worship God. They couldn't enter the temple because they weren't Jewish, but there were many God-fearing Gentiles that were allowed to come into this section, into this courtyard, where they could be there. And it's historically shown to us that this is where the Jews decided to set up their, their money exchange tables and to sell sacrifice, sacrificial things, like to sell animals or to sell things that people would need to have in order to sacrifice. And they've really turned it into a marketplace. They've turned it into a place where you can go and buy anything you need for the sacrificial system. You can change in uh, money from uh, Roman to Jewish and back and forth because there was a lot of money changing that would have to happen. And it really became this, uh, this, this like I said, marketplace that was about making money. It was about... Uh, even and we know that there were some things happening that weren't really up front. There were people being cheated out of their money and things like that. We can look at that through historical context. And Jesus comes in, and this system was no doubt set up by the religious leaders and most likely to make more money, especially at the time of Passover with so many customers. If you think about it, Passover, thousands and thousands and thousands. I mean, you can't even imagine how many people would come to Jerusalem. It's Passover, and every Jew would be coming to celebrate Passover and to give a, a, a sacrifice to God on this day, on, in this week. And people are coming 
and this is a time where things would be set up. This would be the prime time. This is like Black Friday, right? This is when everybody's coming. And I say that, but it's actually true. Like, you just get this idea of a, of a crazy Black Friday, but it's like that in the temple courtyard. Crazy. It's in the temple courtyard. People were using also the courtyard as a shortcut. We'll see that, that Jesus has to stop them from going through. There was actually a law that said you couldn't use the temple to, get, to have a shortcut, but a lot of people would do that. They'd go through this marketplace area with their sacrifices or with other things, and they would take a shortcut through the courtyard so they could get around the temple quicker. And so Jesus is going to stop that. We see that he stops that. We see that Jesus... Uh, is flipping tables and forcing people to stop doing both of the things we just talked about. Jesus comes in and we're told that not only does he come in and say, hey, you need to stop. He comes in and he says, drove out. He he drives out those who sold and and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. This is not... Jesus coming in and being like, oh guys, come on, you need to stop doing this. Please don't do this anymore. No, Jesus comes in and he's like, no, you need to stop. This needs to stop right now. Other, other stories of this would tell us that he actually had a whip in his hands to create a fear. Like he is driving people out and saying, get out of here. He's stopping people from coming through and taking the shortcut. He's flipping over money-changing tables. Just imagine, I mean, tables getting flipped over, money's everywhere. Jesus is very clear what's happening here, and he is exhibiting the wrath of God. There is anger here. But remember, he has thought this through. This is not just a knee-jerk reaction. It's not like he walked in, got really upset, and just started trashing things. That's not the picture we have. Jesus came with a very specific purpose, and he was going to show right now that he had the authority to do these things. That he was going to exhibit his authority through cleansing the temple. So Jesus does all this and then Jesus takes the time to remind the people that the temple is for worship of God. He says, he quotes, uh, uh, he quotes Isaiah 56, 7. And he says, look, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. My house is to be, a, to be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of of robbers. Jesus is very clear that what they did to this courtyard was not acceptable by God. That they had taken advantage of the religious system and taking advantage of this for their own gain. And Jesus is very clear that they need to be praying and worshiping God. That's the point of the temple. And not only is it a house of prayer for the Jews, but he also says it's a house of prayer for the Gentiles. Remember, I said that we would go back to remembering that Jesus' ministry was to all people. Well, Jesus here again is making the declaration that God's house, the temple, was not meant to just be there for the Jews, but it was meant to be there for a place for the Gentiles to come to seek and find God himself. And Jesus is saying, it's a house of prayer for Gentiles and Jews alike. But instead, the Gentile courtyard had been changed into a place to bring money into the hands of the Jewish authorities, where it was meant to be a place that would bring salvation to the nations. Jesus says it very clearly. This is to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And they have destroyed the Gentile courtyard, used it for their own advantage. They have trampled upon God's plan of reaching the Gentiles and reaching the nations. And Jesus says that's not what this is for. 
You have made it into a den of robbers. That's his point. You, you have changed it from reaching out in generosity to the world and you've changed it into what you can get out of it for yourself. And Jesus makes it very clear that this is not godly. And we see as a result of all this that people were amazed while the leaders were afraid. After his actions and what he says, the crowd was astonished as we're told in Scripture. This is not something you would normally see happen in the temple. This is not a normal thing. Rabbis don't normally walk into the temple and start flipping tables and saying that people have misused the temple. Jesus does this with the authority of God himself as he comes in. And people recognize that authority. They recognize that Jesus has the authority to come in and to do this because it's his house that he's cleansing. And so they are astonished at what he did. They are amazed. But what do we find of the leaders? It says in verse 18, And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. The leaders see it and they say, Oh, he's gone too far now. He has destroyed our system. He's, he's, getting, he, he's destroyed our livelihood. He has decided that he can come in and now look at all the people. They're starting to follow him. This is dangerous. And they were afraid for their authority. They were afraid for their nation. They were afraid for themselves. And so they start to plot to get rid of him. And now we're going to see the spiral from the rest of this book as this does eventually happen. But Jesus allows it to happen so that he can save the world and we'll continue to look at that as we look through the rest of the book of Mark. So in conclusion this morning then, what does all this mean for us? We, we've seen some things, right? We've, we've seen the blind man be healed. Jesus is exhibiting himself through that. He's, he exhibits himself through the tri- triumphal entry. He exhibits himself through the cleansing of the temple. We see these three times that Jesus is showing himself to everyone around. There is no question, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who has come to restore spiritual sight. I have come as the King, and I have come as God who will cleanse his temple. And Jesus is making it very clear. He's exhibiting himself to all those around. He exhibits himself to us today. What does it mean for us? Well, if we think back to Bartimaeus and we think about his faith, is our faith like the faith of Bartimaeus? Do we truly acknowledge Jesus for who he is? Not only Son of David, not only Messiah, not only Savior, but our Master, Rabbi. Do we really look at Jesus that way? Are you here today and you've never come to a place where you even acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God and you don't even understand all of it, but you have lived this life for yourself and now you see this Jesus in Scripture and you don't know who He is, but you want to know who He is. Acknowledge Jesus for who He is, that He is the Messiah, which means He is the Anointed One that came to give His life so that you didn't have to face the punishment for your sin, which was to be away from Him, to be separated from Him forever. Instead, Jesus came and said, I'm going to take your punishment by dying on a cross, which we'll see in later in Mark. And I died on that cross to bear the punishment for sin upon myself so that God would be satisfied. And if, if we then, then after that, he, he rises again and says, death and sin, this is what I came to defeat. And look, I've just done it through my resurrection. And then we're told that if we want to follow him, We need to acknowledge who He is and we need to trust Him as our Master. That is the Gospel. That we come to Him in faith, believe what He's done, but not only what He's done for us, but who He is and what He promises. 
and we trust in him completely. We are so desperate, as Bartimaeus was for Jesus, that we call out to him for mercy because we all need mercy. Those who are still waiting to be saved, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, call upon him to show you mercy for your sin. For those of us who know Jesus, we still daily need to call out to him for his mercy and grace. Because he is the Messiah, the Savior who loves us, who took time to stop for Bartimaeus. And he'll take time to stop for you. Second question we can ask is, do we truly believe that Jesus is the king? Not only the king theologically, but do we really believe that Jesus is the king of our lives? He showed it in the triumphal entry. There was no question. He is the king. He is the sovereign one. Do we truly trust in him that way? Do we truly trust that he has everything under control? And this is not something to make people feel guilty, but it's something to give us great hope and great comfort that Jesus is the king and Jesus is sovereign, and we can trust him in that. It is great hope, but do we truly have that hope? Or are we still trying to run our own lives because we don't fully trust him? Jesus made it very clear who he is. Do we really accept him for who he is? And then finally, are we misusing our lives like the Jews misused the temple? Many of you know that later in Scripture it will be told that actually our bodies now are the temple of the living God. Are we using our lives, are we misusing our lives like the Jews misused the temple? For selfish gain, for selfish use, for wanting to get what, it, what we can get out of religion or out of Jesus instead of just being so open to being a person of worship and to spread that to all people around us? Are we using what God has given for His purposes? The body, the, the talents, the gifts, everything He's given to us, are we using it for His glory or for our own? You see, the Jewish authorities were using it for their own glory, and they were wrong. And Jesus makes it very clear that He is not to be used for gain. He is to be there to be a blessing to the nations? Are we a blessing in our life by the way we use our lives? Those are some things we can ask as we look at Jesus, as he exhibits himself, and above all else we can say, behold our God who is king of the world. That is our ultimate hope. That is our ultimate joy. That gives us all the comfort we need because if he is the king and we follow him, then all other things will follow in line. And so Jesus will continue now as we go on next week to show his disciples and show us even more clearly what it means to serve and to save. With that, if everybody's rise, and we'll sing a song together this morning.